it's always strange trying to sell something in a category that no one knows what the hell it is. So if we could, if we could call it a whiskey, then it's much simpler. Um, and if we were in the US, they would just call it a hopped whiskey, and then and people sort of then immediately know what category it's in. Um, if we've got to call it an eau de vie de beer, I'm afraid no one has a clue what that means. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so yeah. we have to get people to taste it. That's Fergus Fitzgerald, head brewer at Adnams in Suffolk. It's a brand you might well know from beers like Broadside, the Dark Ruby Beer and Ghost Ship, uh, their pale ale, all of which are on the shelves of many a supermarket and available from Adnams Direct. I'm Marvin Colt, journalist, broadcaster, accredited beer sommelier and the one who writes a quarterly column about beer for BBC Good Food. I hope you enjoyed the International Women's Day special episode three with Miranda Hudson from Duration Brewing. If you missed it, please go and find it and listen to it. I'd really love it if you could subscribe as well so you don't miss any more editions. Give me a review. Tell your friends. It's available on all good platforms. Apple, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, you name it, it is there. In this edition, I've got two more beer love notes from drinkers as well, telling you what their favourite beer is and why. And I also get a chance to catch up with the lads from Days Brewing, a new no-alcohol beer brand. But right now, I am super excited about this edition. Um, And the reason being, you know, I can hardly forget the first ever beer award that I won, which is coming on 10 years now, September 2011. I won um, Best Broadcasting at the British Guild of Beer Writers and Adnams was sponsoring that award. And so when I won, um, Fergus announced the winner and I had to go up onto the stage and, and collect the award from him. And honestly, you should see my stupid drunken grinning face as I'm uh, standing next to Fergus holding my uh, my um, framed certificate and a lovely silver tankard, which is pride of place uh, in my dining room on the shelf uh, today. But since then, I've been really lucky uh, to visit Adams a couple of times for work and for pleasure, um, visiting the brewery and the distillery. Of course, the broadside protocol was fully invoked. Um, <laughs> if you've not tried it, it's a rich, dark, damson-like fruit beer, beautiful aroma on the nose, effortlessly, if I can say that word properly, effortlessly <laughs> drinkable at uh, a mere 6.3%. It's a massive favourite of mine. It's absolutely delicious with sirloin steak. Um, I'm a little bit of a carnivore and I have sirloin steak quite often on a Sunday <laughs> uh, for Sunday lunch. It's great on its own as well. Um, and if you didn't already know, Adnams is quite a lifestyle brand encompassing wine, spirits, homewares, as well as the beer. So without giving too much away, let the fun begin. Fergus, so exciting to be able to spend time with you because it's been so long. How are you? Well, it's nice to be on. Thanks for asking me. But yeah, I'm fine. Um, we, like everyone else, I guess over the last year, we've all had some uh, some ups and downs. But in, in general, I'm, I'm very well. Uh, just looking forward to reopening pubs now. Yeah, right. On the agenda. What do you think, actually, about the fact that, you know, 12th of April, it's outdoors only? Uh, I, I'm, I'm OK with it, really. I, I know there's lots of people asking whether we should open earlier or, or get back inside earlier, but I'm much more comfortable with taking a slow approach. I think the, the thing that was really difficult last time, not, and not just for brewers, but obviously for pubs as well, um, was this constant not knowing whether you're going to be shut down again in two weeks and then and then all the food and all the beer you've bought then starts to go away. So I'm I'm... I'm fairly comfortable with the idea that we all take a relatively slow and uh, slow approach to reopening with the with the idea that we're not going to go backwards. So so if that's the case, then I'm I'm really happy with it. Yeah, sure. Because because obviously Adams has a network of pubs, right? Yeah, yeah. So we've got we've got about fifty pubs across, uh, sort of both managed and, and sort of tied pubs. Um, so we are, yeah. It, it it's it's a big topic of conversation every day. Uh, finding out what what the government have said the day before, or, or the night before, or whatever they've leaked the day before that. Um, so, 
so yeah, we, we're obviously starting to work out what we're going to do for reopening. Um, I think most pubs are going to do try and do something around here. I think it obviously depends on where you are. Uh, if you're in this in the sort of city centre, that's probably more difficult. But I think particularly where we are, we we think people want to get out and uh, and you know do something. It doesn't have to be very much, but just do something. Yeah, exactly. And where you are by the coast, by South Wall, that yes. absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous place in Suffolk. I mean, where else would you rather be? Uh, it's, yeah. it's an incredible place, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a beautiful place. I mean, if people haven't been, it's it's right on the East Coast. Um, sort of, if you draw a line between sort of Norwich and Ipswich and, and take it to the coast, that's basically where we are. Um, beautiful, un, relatively unsport sort of english seaside town um i think it's got it's got an it's got a charm of its own i think um and i I like to think adams being the brewery being in the town in the middle of the town adds to that charm a bit adds some character to the town and and it's not just another another seaside town it has actually has some industry going on so i i I like that about southwards it has something else going but yeah it's a beautiful place Uh, and looking out the window you see the lighthouse um, which unusually is sort of in the middle, in the, almost in the middle of the town. Um, so yeah, it's it's there's some nice views where we are. It's absolutely stunning, and I still have very fond memories of visiting um, and just having the most incredible, relaxing time. Yeah, being by the sea, the lighthouse, the views, um, you of course meeting you, obviously, <laughs> and yeah. And visiting the brewery, the distillery and everything, it's just stunning. So, you know, when, when things do uh, get moving again and we can have some sense of normality and when those tours restart, you know, everyone should do what they can to get down and get on an Adnams tour because it is uh, the best day of your life, yeah. I think, anyway. Yeah. I'm biased. Right, um, let's get into the serious business of beer. What are you drinking tonight? Uh, so I've got some, some wild hop. Um, which is a, a beer we, we do once a year. It's a sort of green hop beer. So we get people to go into their gardens, go go find hops that are growing wild, as long as they've got permission to pick them, um, go, go and find hops, bring them together. Uh, and then we get them all together, freeze them until, because it takes probably probably six weeks to get them all together. So we freeze them until we're, we're ready to brew it. Um, and then we brew a beer with, with hops that people have brought in. So I can't remember, it's probably about six years since we started doing doing this beer but it's a nice it's a nice community thing um where the, you know, the idea is to help people understand how beer is made and but actually bring people together with with the idea of making it so uh, and then once the beer is brewed then we we give some of the beer to the people the hop pickers the people who pick the hops we get send some of the beer out so i spent some of some a couple of days last week delivering some of the beer out because uh, usually we usually we get everyone together as a sort of party and then they get they come in and we'd have we'd have some nibbles and they'd take some beer away but obviously that's not possible at the moment so I spent mm. I spent a couple of days last week driving round round sort of Suffolk and touching into Norfolk to, to go and de- deliver some of the beer uh, I'm not quite that's finished nice yet. Nice of you. <laughs> well, I thought otherwise that it's going to be so long till we actually get people together that it sort of loses its meaning and we'll be we'll be into the next hop year. So I thought it'd be best to go out and deliver them. Uh, so it's a nice thing. Sure. It's, it's always going to be a small a small thing, but it's quite a I think it's quite a nice thing to do. Um, nice beer, and it's 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 a sort of English bitter as you'd expect. It's made from English hops, so it has lots of English characteristics to it. Um, so it, it it is a very much a sort of English bitter style beer. Um, but with a bit of sweetness and a, a little bit of a banana note coming through from our yeast as well, I think, uh, which adds to the sort of adds to the flavour of the beer. So I, I, I'm really happy with how it's come out. But usually, it's the it's the whole idea, the process, and the whole idea of that beer is is the thing that I really like. Yeah, the community, the sense of community around it is is outstanding in terms of you know what it means beyond you know it's not just a beer, is it? It's it's one that you do annually. Um, and I've noticed, or it feels to me like um, you've been going at warp speed with some newer beers and collaborations. So talk me through what are maybe um, your, um, I don't know, your top three newest beers so far. Um, and whilst you talk me through that, I'm going to sip some of your Earl Grey Lager, which is my brand new favorite it's outstanding and i'm going to pin you down on the story about that in a bit but talk to me about your new beers uh so i think last year was the was the 10th anniversary of ghost ship so we thought we'd 
we thought we'd do a couple of collaborations to sort of celebrate that. Obviously, that we, the idea for that started off before COVID kicked in. So the idea was they would all be cast beers and it would be sort of a pub celebration as much as anything. Uh, that changed obviously pretty early on when we when we found out that pubs were all going to be shut. So it became more of a canned sort of product. Uh, we did tiny amounts in cast, but uh, but that wasn't really the, the main focus in the end. Uh, so we did some with some, some basically with, with friends, I guess. So... Um, I did, we did one with Camden. Uh, so Rob Toppen uh, is the head brewer there. And I, I, I worked with Rob when, he, when we were both at Fuller's many years ago. Um, and he's a good friend. Um, so we thought we'd do one with him. Um, we also did one with uh, Beavertown. Uh, and we'd, we'd been doing some work with Beavertown over the last year or two, uh, sort of brewing some beer for them while they were building their new brewery. So it was a yeah, we we became I think pretty good pretty good uh, sort of you know work friends I guess is probably the word for but but mm-hmm. I, and I have loads of respect for what Nicola and, and Chris uh, do down at Beavertown so we asked them whether they do one and then we also did one with Magic Rock who again we've known for years um, and we've done a couple of collaborations in the past with them so um, so th- those are the three main sort of collaboration brews last year uh, and the Red Phantom which is the one we did with um, Magic Rock sort of came out towards the end of the year that's probably my probably my favourite I think it's sort of a red rye IP a sort of session IPA, so a bit more malt, a bit more sweetness to it, uh, but some nice hop character. So I think that's probably I my favourite. I really favorite. like Red Phantom. Yeah, good. Uh, I, th- I think the, locally, I think the people, the ones that people like the most is probably the Camden. Uh, it's sort of a Citra, a Citra IPL, a sort of India Pale Lager. Um, and I have to say the Citra does come through really well, uh, but I, I quite like the malt character in the Red Phantom. Yeah. Uh, and then during, during last year, we also launched uh, Cobbled, which is... Uh, sort of English lager that we sort of put together. Uh, we'd, we'd been looking at it sort of in 2019 and then uh, with a view to launching into pubs in 2020. Uh, but mm. that wasn't exactly the exactly the um, the time no. to start, but we we, we, had to, we went ahead with it. Um, so that, that's gone down pretty well, I think. Cobble's amazing. It, it's absolutely stunning. Um, and I, I love the, the can design, you know, it's so bright and fresh. And I remember... Um, you very kindly sent me a delivery and it was a beautiful sunny day and I laid everything out in the garden and it was just, it was just, it just screamed summer. We didn't really have a mainstream lager in our range. So we had, uh, we had dry hop lager, which was, uh, which had been in for a couple of years, but uh, that's more of a sort of hoppy, hoppy lager. So it's hopped with galaxy hops, which had a sort of, mm. uh, sort of peach note to it. So it was, it was never really aimed at the sort of mainstream lager drinker, but we wanted somebody that did, did do, do that job. Um, and, but we wanted to, do, we wanted it to be very much an Adnams beer. Um, so I think controversially we, we use the Adnams yeast in that, which does give us a house character. Um, mm. but it isn't necessarily, well, it isn't a lager yeast. So it does give us some more character from the yeast than, than maybe a sort of lager yeast would do. But we, we did generally want to have some flavor, uh, from just to tie it into the rest of the range. If it's going to be a core beer, then it would, it seemed very odd to have a core beer that wasn't, wasn't brewed with the, the, the Adnam yeast that we've been, that we've been running since the 1940s. So exactly. it, it yeah. was part of the, part of the sort of soul of it really. We wanted to have some, some character to it. Um, yeah, and obviously it wasn't necessarily. It was, you know, it's it's a pub beer ideally. Um, sitting out in the summer summer sort of pub garden, that's where we really want people to be drinking it. Um, but it was what it was last year. But it's gone pretty well to start with. Uh, and then of course the the Earl Grey Lager, which you've got got in hand. It's delightful. Now, how did this association come about then? Because obviously there's a there's a connection with tea pigs over this. And and I've got to admit, I've got to admit, Fergus, when I when I opened the packet and I went. Earl Grey Lager, I was like, I squealed and not in a good way, right? <laughs> uh, because I, I absolutely detest Earl Grey tea. Oh, okay. um, and, I, and I've always gone, I never understand why anybody wants to drink Earl Grey tea. Uh, been very curmudgeonly about it. So I was kind of um, the the journalist healthy skeptic in me was kind of like, it's okay. All right. No, I'm going to try it. It's okay. I'm not going to dismiss it out of hand. Um and it absolutely blew my mind. <laughs> so I'm confounded and confused because um, it's it smells so fresh, and you know this it's it, it's it's so light. It's easy drinking. I wouldn't think it was five percent by um, you know the, the 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 way that it tastes. It feels lighter. Um, have a mouthful. It's smooth. I get kind of a, a lemony lemony citrus effect going on um 
bitterness. It's not. It's it's not pronounced. It's not assertive. It's 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 light enough for someone to go right. Yeah, this is going to be, you know, a pre-dinner beer. Uh, I, I've literally just had it with um, uh, a beef Rogan Josh that I <laughs> I was just eating beforehand and I had a can before. Perfect. Yeah. Didn't 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 um you know it, it complemented I think. Um, so what's the story? Uh, so it goes back a while actually. So we did a we did a beer with Yeasty Boys. Um, I can't remember now. It was probably four or five years ago now. But we did a, we did a version of their Gunamata IPA in cask. Um, so this is still, still when they were sort of mainly based in New Zealand. Um, and for anyone mm-hmm. who doesn't know Yeasty Boys, they they they're brewery originally based in New Zealand, but they're they sort of now uh, sort of set up set up shop in the UK. Um, but we did this beer with them uh, a few years back, uh, which is which is their Gunamata IPA, which is a Earl Grey IPA. Um, and they, so we did some selection of the Earl Grey tea that we were going to use. Um, and we were sort of blown away by how well it worked in the beer, because uh, it was something we'd never really thought about using tea in beer before, but it worked so well. Mm-hmm. And then when you start thinking about the flavors, actually, it sort of makes a lot of sense. So obviously in Earl Grey tea, you've got the bergamot uh, that gives you that sort of citrus lemon sort of note. Uh, and then you've got the tea, which does add some tannin. And obviously, if you think about that in terms of hops, obviously lots of hops now add those citrus lemon notes um, and you do obviously want some bitterness which you know the tannins essentially play the same part so actually the flavors you're getting from Earl Grey tea make perfect sense in a beer um, and then probably not too long after that we I, I went to a beer festival in Sweden uh, and there was a bergamot lager on that uh, and they didn't use the tea itself but they just they just had bergamot in that uh, and again I thought that worked really well we just thought actually with the with the tannin that would work fantastically well just to add another layer of bitterness and another layer of tannin underneath. Um, so yeah, that, that was essentially the story. And then we, we'd been working with tea pegs in our stores for quite a few years. Um, and it just made sense to use their, their Earl Grey tea. And when, when we went through a number of Earl Grey tea, which isn't something you tend to think you're going to oh do, my think as a brewery, go through lots of Earl Grey tea types, <laughs> but it just came out with this lovely sort of lemon lime note on the, on their particular mm. um, Earl Grey. So that's the one we used, uh, which is a sort of Darjeeling Earl Grey and works really well it's it's always a tricky thing to to get right because if you leave the so essentially we 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 add some tea into the brew and into the hot side but most of the tea goes into the cold side and it's a very tricky thing to in terms of time and how much contact you have because if you leave it too long you start to get a soapy characteristic come through Um, Mm. but you obviously want to leave it long enough to get the to get that aroma and to get that tannin in so it's a very tricky and and there's no there's no it's not necessarily based purely on time you just have to keep tasting it and tasting it and then take it out when you think it's ready um so we've actually got one one in tank at the moment um which i think is actually taste it's probably the best one we've done i think i, th- I think it's Ooh. i think it's really on the, on the on the nose i think it works really well um it's got exactly the right amount of sweetness um from the from that sort of orange and, and sort of citrus sort of sweetness coming through and then just the right amount of tannin from the tea just to balance it out so yeah we're pretty happy with it it is spectacular. You really, you really should be because I'm just like in love, totally in love. For people who don't like Earl Grey tea, and you're not alone in that. Lots of people who don't like Earl Grey tea have said they like it. Um, so because I think they're expecting it to be full on Earl Grey, like an like an Earl Grey tea bag. Right. It's not quite. That. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 um it's definitely without a doubt worth a try, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. And you know, I said. I found it really lovely with my beef rogan Josh. What what do you think that could? I mean, it's 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 a lager, isn't it? I mean, what have you tried it with? What food have you tried it with? Uh, so I think in terms of what I've tried it with, it tends to be lots of fish dishes usually. I think that mm. I think the, just the the lemon works really well. Um, I think that tannin as well helps just to lift it. So, uh, but I think as it's a lager, I think it it, it can be quite versatile. Um, and that lemon note. I mean, I think matching matching beer with food is always a bit. I think it's always going to be very subjective. So I think you can tell people lots of things about what you think will match with it, but in the end, there's no, there's no right or wrong. You try it if you like it. Happy days. If you don't like it, well, drink it and go on to something else. But yeah. <laughs> don't throw the beer away. Yeah. Just drink it and move on to something no. else. What? But no. yeah, but I, I think generally, generally you, you sort of do what you like on it. Um, but yeah, I tend to match it more with fish dishes than anything else. It's amazing. More, more, more. Um, and 
it's uh, what I find really interesting about Adnams is that um, you're not just beer, you're wines and spirits as well. I mean, what a what a company! You, you have quite a range, don't you, in terms of the, the drinks offering? And I, I'm trying to think there probably are people will say, oh yes, there are Marv, but I'm trying to think of any other brewery that has that kind of range. There probably are many, but it, it, it's it's remarkable. Yeah, no, I think Adnams. I, it's, I guess the, the wine side used to be much more common, um, so sort of more traditional family family brewers tended to obviously import wine because they were they were supplying it into their into their tide estate pubs uh, i think that's disappeared for a lot of a lot of uh, breweries but some of the older ones still keep that going uh, i think the thing that really drives it for us is we we have lots of shops as well so we think we've got about 12 shops at the moment um, so we need a we need a very good wine offering for that so that drives a lot of a lot of the sort of the new varieties coming in um, and then the spirit side is is very unusual. Uh, so we were we were the first brewery in the UK to have a distillery on site. Um, some of that goes back to some old legislation, which which made it illegal to have a brewery on, or sorry, distillery on the same site as a brewery. Uh, but that legislation dropped away, I think, 12, 13 years ago. It was just an old bit of legislation based on how we used to pay tax on alcohol. But it made no sense in the modern era and hadn't done for a long time, and eventually it dropped away. So I think there used to be legal reasons why it couldn't happen, but I think even now I'm still surprised more more breweries don't do it uh, because you know we all as a brewery you make alcohol uh, the next step is just then to purify it and, and sort of concentrate it which is really what the distillery side is to do so I think that makes a lot mm. of natural fits in there um, and then obviously it means it means you get to play a bit more with different different particularly on gin you get to play a bit more with botanicals because as a brewery you suddenly have access to 20 or 30 botanicals that are sitting there all the time and you can go and borrow mm-hmm. some from the distillery if you want to try something um so you don't have to try too hard to, to go and play with something new which is quite nice um yeah i think it, when we first put the distillery in i think lots of people thought it was really strange um so and i think even even with it adams people really? thought it was a bit of a stretch but uh, <laughs> i loved it <laughs> no but i think that lots of people did but as within the brewing you know mm. the brewing community everyone sort of looked at it a bit looked yeah. at us a bit weird about why, why why are you doing that no one else does that yeah um but it just made a lot of sense, I think, at the time. And Jonathan Adams was really keen on on sort of going into the craft gin side um, because he sort of sort of sort of started to boom a little bit in the US. And although it was still early days in the UK, there was still only a handful of sort of new distilleries. Um, we could he could see that was going to something was going to happen. So we got him really early on gin. Um, yeah, and so yeah, it's been a really really good investment for us. Your gins are amazing. Good. Copper House first rate. Oh yeah. my goodness! And it you it's actually. Those gins are the ones I recommend to all um, our gin-loving friends. We're like, have you tried this? They're like, no. It's like, listen, let me order your bottle. You must have this. Um, and we've done that for friends in the past, and they've gone, they've gone what the hell? It's amazing. Um, <laughs> so um, congratulations on that score. <laughs> um Definitely worth going to explore um, what you've got on offer in terms of spirits. So there's also vodka, whiskey, rum. Yeah, it's a wide range. But so we, when we first put the distillery in, we really wanted to make it from scratch. So most people who make gin will buy ready, ready distilled alcohol and then basically do another distillation with the botanicals to make gin. But Jonathan was really keen on the idea that we do it from scratch, that we have a brewery. Let's use the grain that we use to make beer. Let's make a wash. Let's distill it. Make, but And then you have to get it to vodka quality to then make it into gin. So obviously, once you've done that, you may as well may as well sell some vodka. Why not? <laughs> we, yeah, exactly. Why not? You've got vodka. You've had to make it to make gin. So um, so then I think the vodka, particularly the Longshore vodka, has won a couple of awards. It's been the, the best vodka in the world a couple of times now, uh, which is quite quite pleasing. Um, and then we use well, that. That's then amazing. We, then we use that vodka <laughs> to then make gin. And I think it just gives us another, uh, you know, a little bit of something different because we're actually – the way we make our vodkas I mean we're not stripping all the flavor out we're leaving a bit of flavor of, of what it was made um and i think that was another learning curve i guess for us that we coming into what we i think most of us thought well vodka just tastes of nothing that's it there's no you know don't worry about it but actually vodka should taste it have some taste of what it was made from so if you're making mm. it from barley or you're making it from wheats and oats or rye some of the flavors should be should transfer into the final vodka uh, and particularly the longshore that sort of the the wheat and the oats do transfer through so you get a little creaminess coming through from from the sort of wheat and oats um so yeah so that was a, another learning curve but then that flavor of the vodka then adds another layer of flavor into the gin itself 
So we're not we're not starting from a completely clean base when we start making our gin. We're actually starting from a, a, a sort of vodka that has a bit of flavor that we're sort of then building more botanical flavor on top of. Wow, I love it. And you know, I I remember seeing um you um putting spirit of broadside onto the market because broadside is probably my number one favorite beer of yours dark ruby 6.3 percent i could sit and drink it all day i know it's very dangerous but you know it's that rich um sweet multi kind of fruit cake beer that the minute it hits my mouth i feel like i'm just in heaven like it's it's luxury to me um and then you you created the spirit of broadside so was that like a was that like a conversation between you and the head distiller? Like you were just going, what should we do? What should we do? How do we do this? When do we do it? <laughs> well, I think the inspiration was really from some of the some of the German brewers do a, an Eau de Vida beer, which is what this or a beer brandy, which is essentially what this is. Um, so the the stills we put in are German made, and 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 they were sort of uh, when we were sort of developing it, they 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 sort of showed us around a couple of German distilleries that were using their equipment. Um, and actually, we got I think we got some samples of beer brandy. Uh, so when we when we got the distillery up and running, thought well, it'd be quite fun to make a little bit of a little bit of an eau de vida beer, uh, but then age it like mm. a whiskey. So most eau de vies are are clear and they're, and they're young and they're not they're not aged. But we thought it'd be quite nice to age it in wood because we thought that, that that would add to its flavour. So that's what we do. Um, it's I think it's one of the f- it's always strange trying to sell something in a category that no one knows what the hell it is. So if we could if we could call it a whiskey, then it's much simpler. Um, and if we were in the US, they would just call it a hopped whiskey, and then and people sort of then immediately know what category it's in. Um, if we've got to call it an eau de vie de beer, I'm afraid no one has a clue what that means. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so yeah. we have to get people to taste it. So that's where the shops come in, really into their own. Really, that they can go into our stores and actually taste these things that they've never heard of uh, and try them, and then and then hopefully purchase after that. So so yeah, once you get into it and taste it. People get the idea that it has this sort of mix of brandy and sort of whiskey flavours with a bit of hop note sort of running through the top of it. Mm. I think beer brandy just sounds so decadent, actually, yeah. Fergus, that, you know, it, it, it surely who, who could resist being enticed into trying something like that? So um, Spirit Broadside, go and get it. Um Coming back to your shops, though, as well, um, what I love about your shops, they're not just bottle shops. They are they're beautiful homeware spaces that when you walk in, you feel like, OK, yeah, so I need everything in this store, um, but I'm not sure how I'm going to get it home. <laughs> they're, so, they're so delightful because it's yeah, it's all your beers, all your wines, all spirits, you know, and selections, of course, because all your stores are different sizes, but just fantastic items for the home as well. I mean... To me, and and this might sound a bit crazy, but I was a TV presenter on QVC, the shopping channel, but it feels like a lifestyle store when you go in. Yeah, I think that's exactly what they want to they want to be. So I think they'll be very pleased to hear you think that. So (laughs) it is meant to be about about sort of a bit of everyday luxury i guess is, is how they sort of describe it the you know, there is the beer and wine and spirits and, and i think there's ranges across every every category depending on what you're looking for that day and then yeah we get a we get a sort of uh, voucher at the end of the year a sort of christmas voucher and, to, and most of the time that gets spent on on cookware or something something pretty that they've bought in that year some fish plates or or some <laughs> you know uh, some new pans that's t- typically typically what we go and spend it on <laughs> nice work. Um, coming back to um, actually how um, you were talking about uh, barrel aging, um, what's the situation with you um, in terms of barrel aging beers in general? Because I know a lot of breweries love it, right? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's um, you know, sherry casks, it's you know i don't know merlot casks it's it's whiskey what what do you think about all of this and and where do you think you want to go with things yeah we 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 love some of the beers that come out in barrel age so we do have we do have one beer that we bar we age in in uh, in whiskey barrels uh we because we are we obviously make whiskey we've got a distillery we make whiskey um so when we first put the distillery in in 2010 we sort of thought well you know in However, many years time, we'll end up with lots of empty whiskey barrels coming out of the distillery that that we should make use of. So, we started we started a very small, and I mean very small. It was two two casts to start with, 
um, two old whiskey casts, some ex-bourbon ones actually. Um, so we thought we'd start a few trials uh, with aging some broadside, some bottled broadside in, in some whiskey barrels. Um, we, and we only, we sort of, we did it like a, essentially like a Solera system. So we put some beer in, uh, we actually put some cherries in at the same time. Uh, we left it for about a year. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we left it for about a year. Uh, we take a little bit out when, about a year, about probably two years in, we thought it was actually ready. Um, so we started taking little bits out for local beer festivals or, or whatever it was. Uh, and then we top it back up again with some fresh beer. And then we go back again in about six months and do the same thing. Uh, so that went, that, that, that beer was, was really good. We thought it was getting to a place where we should make more of it and rather than just have it as beer festivals, special sort of thing. So we then, we then sort of got 10 whiskey barrels uh, and transferred the contents of the two we had into the 10. So we sort of transferred the, the microflora across because what we were really looking for was a bit of, a bit of bacteria growth in there, a bit of wild yeast growth that was going to give us give us a bit of a sort of house flavour, um, and give us a bit of a city, but not sort of at a controlled level, so we can add a little bit of acidity in there to sort of counterbalance the sweetness of the beer. Um, and that, so again, we had to then wait for about a year, and then we bottled that as as both barrels, um, and then we do the same thing every year. Uh, some years you get a bit more out than you do other years. Some sometimes the you have to write off some of those those barrels because. Some of the, sometimes the, the microflora in there gets a bit out of hand or it takes the beer in a direction you don't really want to use it. Um, so you get rid of those ones and you end up with a little bit less beer. But every year uh, we have a little bit of both barrels come out. Uh, it's always tiny amounts. We're talking sort of, you know, maybe maybe a couple of, maybe a couple of thousand bottles, really no, nothing more than that. Um, ideally, we'd like to grow it, but we're we're a little bit uh, constrained for space at the moment. So we're we're yeah we're stuck with sort of maybe about twenty. 20 whiskey barrels of, of beer, give or take. But then, you know, in some ways, you know, whilst that is the case, it makes the additions that you do release that bit more sought after, right? Because it could be very easy to go, yeah, we're going to do thousands and thousands and thousands and people are going to go, yeah, I get bored of that now, right? You could have a little mystique about it, right? Yeah, no, definitely it does help because it, it does sell out pretty quickly when it comes in. So we're, we're really happy with it where, where, it, where it's at. Um, I think, you know, sometimes people want to make money out of these things, you know, Rav, so sometimes it's, <laughs> sometimes. Oh, I know, what? Really? I know, Not I know. for the love of it? I know. Amazing. Yeah, and thank, you know what? Yeah, I mean, actually, it's a really good point. You know, all I do is talk about beer. I didn't brew it. You're the man at the business end of things, right? So flipping out. Yeah, remind me that this is the case. <laughs> and actually, um, I'd love to know when, so when are you going to do your next release then? Because obviously I need to put my name down, it sounds like, to make um, sure we should have I can a get bottling, older some. We should have a bottling coming back in about two weeks so it's really we were hoping to get it in before christmas but it didn't quite work out the beer wasn't quite ready so we had to push it off so uh so yeah but a couple of weeks time it should be should be back so i'll be really interested to see how it comes it has come out in bottle you're listening to the Beer Beauty Podcast with me, award-winning beer writer and journalist Marvarine Cole. Time for Beer Love Notes, where two drinkers do the very difficult job of declaring their love for one beer. Just one. It's a tough task, but they did rise to the challenge very well. So here we go. Hi, Marvarine. Christian here from sunny Sturchley. So I've chosen Orval. In my opinion, probably one of the best Belgian beers ever made. It's always been a constant in my 30 years of selling great beer to people. It's 6.2% and as far as I'm concerned, just hits the spot. It's a fruity beer with just the right amount of hoppiness and a crisp, dry finish. And sometimes that's just what you want from a beer. Pair it up with a quality cheese board with some poor salut, or, if you're lucky enough, some Orval cheese. See ya! Hi Marv! I'm Kendra and I'm a huge lover of craft ales in all their guises but for my beer love note I've gone back to the, my northeast roots and chosen a beer that makes me smile and really feel quite emotional. That beer is Hartlepool's Cameron's Brewery's flagship beer Strong Arm. A ruby red classic ale and when you find a really good cask pint it's just perfect. I chose Strong Arm because it's the beer I used to drink with my dad back home in Teesside. I'm sure it would have been the first legal beer I ordered in a pub. And the taste and smell is, for me, really evocative of home. To this day, me and my dad still message each other when we find a really good cask pint of it. It has a lovely balance of sweet toffee from the malts and bitterness, and obviously goes amazing with a good roast dinner or a big pie and mash. It's not modern, it's not fashionable, but when you find a good pint, it's ridiculously drinkable, and it will always have a special place in my beery heart. 
Loving the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Bye. Kendra, the memories you've got of Strong Arm really, really want to make you take a trip to the northeast. Got to find it on cask as soon as we can. I was having a look at it online as you were describing it. Rich ruby beer, 4% sweet malty toffee. Mmm, great. Sounds amazing. And um, Christian, you are my local beer saver from Sturchley Wines. Thank you so much. Orval, yeah, I know that beer as well. Um, I remember um, going to the Brussels Beer Festival again probably about 10 years ago and the first time I had it was there um, at a dinner and we paired it with a, a veal dish and it was absolutely delicious so a beautiful suggestion there I would love to hear your beer love notes as well email me a 60 second voice message telling me who you are and what your fave beer is what your fave beer and food match is hello at beerbeauty.co.uk is where you should send it okay back to Fergus from Adnams. How long have you been at Adnams then, Fergus? Uh, a long time. <laughs> so I joined Adnams in 2004. Um, yeah, 2004, so quite a, quite a while now. Um, so I, I was at Fuller's for about seven years uh, before that and then moved up here as assistant brewer. And then uh, the previous head brewer Mike Powell Evans he retired in 2008 I think uh, so I've been head brewer since then and what are your plans are there any plans for the future immediate you know short term short medium term I would say that you can let us know about in terms of other newbies or things you're thinking about uh, well the immediate plan is to is to obviously get back up and running with with cast beer and keg beer into pubs so that's probably mm. preoccupying most most of the time at the moment. Um, outside of that, we are doing another another series of collaborations this year. Um, so we've got the first one coming out. Uh, well, probably next week, I think, uh, with a with a small brewery in uh, well near near Bakewell. You probably know them. Oh, what that little one? That little that, that little Bombridge. one. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah, that little. <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really exciting! Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be yeah. good. Um, so I think oh, that's I, great up there. I think yeah, new beers are always exciting. So we're, we're it's always good to have people down. I think the thing that's been a bit weird the last year is usually when you do a collaboration beer, obviously people actually physically come and visit you and brew the beer, uh, and you can you know you can share a few beers together and. Um, yeah, and have a, have a good time. So that that's been a bit weird. So we're we're hoping to get back to a place, you know, this year where we can actually have people down and uh, and do a collaboration brew the proper way, um, and yeah. and enjoy, uh, yeah, yeah. and enjoy a few beers in, in in company in person rather than over Zoom. Yeah, yeah. What's it going to be? Fill me in. Uh, so this is going to be so uh, it's going to be a sort of India porter, so sort of a hoppy porter. Um, so a little bit darker Ooh. than we gone through recently so i think lots of people certainly within adams uh, lots of people are getting tired of pale ales and ipa so uh, <laughs> usually usually there's a cry out for something darker so we thought we'd give in this time and do something a bit darker okay and any any twist to it uh well i'm not, not necessarily a twist but we we sort of we want to link them to to some commitments going forward because i think over the last year i think lots of things have stagnated and and particularly on sort of environmental and sustainability things we've probably stagnated a bit uh, so we want to kick that off again and, and sort of actually focus back on some of those sustainability ideas so the idea is with each beer that we'll we'll sort of make a commitment to something going forward so with the thornbridge one uh, we're going to make a commitment to start using more english hops um, so the english hop industry has been a bit decimated over the last year because um, obviously, proportionally more English hops are used in cask beer than anything else. So, so obviously the the sort of the absence of cask beer over the last year has mean has meant the sort of use of English hops has dropped has dropped even more dramatically than anything else. So or any other hops. So we want to support the industry, but also I think it's a long longer term commitment. Obviously, that in terms of food miles, we we do want to use as much local ingredients as we, as we can, um, and we always we've always sort of espoused the. The benefits of things like Fuggles and Goldings as, as very traditional English hops, 
um, but there are some really interesting new varieties coming through that we want to we want to try and use the most of them uh, sorry mm. make the most of them so there's mm. uh, there's some harlequin coming through there's some more jester coming through so i think they're, they're they're still english in their characteristics but they have a bit more fruit to them so a little bit more really a little bit more maybe australian characteristics in terms of that sort mm. of that stone fruit sort of flavors um, they will always be English because we you know, we have a, we have a certain climate, um, and hops are very yeah, cool. hops are very yeah. dependent on the climate they're grown in. So there will always be a sort of an English characteristic to them. So we're we're just trying to build on using them where we can, um, wherever wherever possible. There will be some times where or some some particular beers that we can't really swap out the the American. So we can't really lose Citra. There isn't a ready replacement no. in, in terms of Citra. No, no. Um, so there will no. be some key varieties we have to stick with, but where we can. Where it's for bittering, or where, where it's layer, putting a layer of flavour underneath the sort of main hop, that we will we will be moving more towards using English, English hops where we can. So that that's the sort of the idea behind the, the sort of commitment that we will start to use more local ingredients for this beer. It's brilliant. Yeah. No, I, I I understand what you're saying about climate because you know we haven't got raging sunshine for weeks and weeks and months on end that that you know enable the likes of citra to kind of burst with the you know the kind of gooseberry fruitiness but you know that the the characters are there in english hops but not as kind of loud and proud as they are (laughs) in australian hops or or yeah or american hops so um and you know you're Adnam's kind of um, commitment to sustainability is really strong because you know obviously with Cobalt you had that um, uh, you had that kind of association around marine yeah the blue preservation marine foundation, wasn't it yeah yeah so we're, so a proportion of the sort of profits from uh, Cobalt are going back into support Blue Marine Foundation who invest in cleaning up uh, sort of oceans and, and seas uh, they've got lots of different projects going on but uh, essentially it goes back into into cleaning up the oceans really uh, and obviously given our given our situation right on the coast that probably has a more immediate effect on us than anything else and i think that's i think partly adam sort of has a philosophy of independence not just because it is an independent brewery but because of where we are we are right on the coast we sort of are a little bit isolated um so i think that the sort of general there is a general independence of thought about how we do things uh, that isn't just about our ownership it is about where we are as well i think that geography of where we are feeds into that I think it's great. And, you know, you're you're one of the breweries who's really been doing this for a long time, whereas um, some people might not know um, that uh, another beer, Fergus, good for you. Um, <laughs> but a lot of people might not know that, that, you know, there's so many breweries. <laughs> no, you don't need to hide it from me. Why hide? Get it down, y'all. Um, <laughs> that, uh, some people might not know that, you know, a lot of breweries do um, take kind of community connections and corporate social responsibility or whatever they, they feel. Um, it's not just about beer. It's about, you know, uh, their impact on communities. But you've been kind of at the for- forefront of that, I think. How long have you kind of been considering and 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 making sure that um, sustainability is at the heart of what you do? I, I, that that predates me by quite a long way, really. I think the, the previous chairman uh, was Simon Loftus, um, and he was he sort of probably kickstarted that when we when we built a new distribution centre outside of town, um, and he was really keen on that being as the most environmentally friendly building, the most sustainable building we could we could build and that just led on so i think doing some of those big projects then feeds on to some of the smaller things because you have this sort of hero project that actually this is you know we're staking we're staking or we're putting a lot of money into this into this idea that we want to be more sustainable so that then feeds down i think through through the rest of the company and eventually people people joining the company expect it to be there they expect us to be doing the right thing so it sort of just becomes this this culture within adams that actually everyone expects us to do the, with you know, working within Adams expects to try and try and find the best way of doing it, um, and it doesn't always work. Sometimes we make mistakes, but I think the general the general ethos is we're always trying to do it the, the best we can, and and it's really about sustainability in its broadest sense. So it's not just environmental, but it is about being part of the community and a, in a long term sense, and a, the business Adams being around in the long term. So it's it is about sustainability as a sort of wider wider view, a view as you can take it but environmental stuff obviously plays a big part of that um, as does as does being part of the community because you know we i think when we put the new brew house in in 2007 
we sort of we could have moved that brew house outside of town like lots of other old breweries have done you know sell sell the site you know southwall is a relatively expensive place to be so you could have sold it and moved out but actually the the idea that that we Adams had a had a sort of soul and was situated within within Southwold and it was important for Southwold for Adams to be there and it was important for Adams to be in Southwold. Uh, that that sort of idea of being part of the community was was one of those intangible things you can't really you can't really put a number to. But all the I think mm. all the all the directors at the time felt that it was important that we stayed. So that's what we did. So I think having done that, you can't you can't then operate the business without being concerned about what your impacts are on the community and, and how you fit into that and the benefits you bring. Um, and there will always be some conflicts, you know, there will always be uh, some people who who have issues about the fact there's a, a relatively large brewery in the middle of this lovely, otherwise, mm. otherwise quiet town. Um, so mm. that will cause some conflicts, but we try our best to to be as good a neighbour as we possibly can be. Um, and I, th- I genuinely think that Southwell would be a worse place uh, if, if Adams wasn't brewing within the middle of it. You've talked about, well, I've asked you to talk talk about um, and explain some of your own beers. and But what I would love you to do is recommend and tell me about, say, the top three beers that you enjoy from other breweries. <laughs> um, and clearly, you know, you have such massive respect in the industry. There are so many breweries who love you and love what you do. Um but yeah, who, which beers do you favour? Uh, do you really enjoy um, beyond your own range, and why? Oh, uh, okay. Well, uh, so I, I do enjoy a wide range of beer <laughs> from many breweries. Yeah, uh, I would right. say the, the beers <laughs> I've I've enjoyed most over the last year uh, have probably been from people like Lost and Grounded, um, from Burning Sky. Um, who else have I had? I'm trying to think. Lost and grounded beers are crazy, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think <laughs> I love their cans. They're fantastic. They're an absolutely yeah. great brewery. Um, <laughs> but I think it's always about. I think it's always about more than just the glass, isn't it? So when you're tasting something, mm. it's always about your feeling about it, even before you taste it. You know, so the so I think we're I think we're we're relatively good friends with the guys at Lost and Grounded and Annie and Alex, and I think that you know that 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 feeling is always going to influence how you feel about a beer. But putting that to to one side, I think the beers that Lost and Grounded make are their their new Hells. I think is fantastic. Um, I think their mm-hmm. uh, their Keller beer is absolutely top Keller, notch. I was just going to say Keller. It's yeah, great, so, isn't it? <laughs> so Keller Pills is absolutely top notch. You know, you could mm. you couldn't ask for anything better. Um, mm. And then some something like Burning Sky. I do. I really like sour beers. Um, it's you know it's not something Adams is ever going to do as a sort of mainstream thing, uh, but Burning mm. Sky absolutely makes some of the best sour beers in the world. But certainly in the UK, they're 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 yeah. they're they're out in front. Uh, but they do mm. they do a, um, a sort of petite saison, which which was you know really really crushable beer over the, over last summer. Um, so that was probably one of my favourite really? beers last year, uh, and then Thornbridge, I think, is probably the other one I've got in my in my garage at the moment. Um, those oh, are the, yeah. those are the three those are the three beers I tend to have the most of oh. at any one time. Okay, okay. Did you taste in um, Thornbridge's gin gin yeah, yeah. barrel aged? Yeah. What? <laughs> that was in, it was outstanding. I had a picture of it somewhere on my phone, but I remember yeah. tasting it and going, I. And I was another skeptic on this one. I was thinking, yeah, nah, I'm not going to like this. I'm not going to like this because yeah. I'm not a huge fan of saisons or sours. And I was like, glug, 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 glug. Yeah. No, <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you for giving love to um, other breweries. And um, just in kind of rounding up, I'm keen to know, because obviously this year has been hell, right? Um, and previous guests have talked about you know how they've navigated through the year um and i'm just interested to know what what what's kept you sane you know what's kept you entertained when you've not <laughs> been in work you know movies tv what have you, have you started knitting you might have taken up knitting or something to relax i don't know like what have no, you been doing I, 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 uh... I did used to knit a long time ago. When we were, I come, I, I come from a very small village in Ireland, and everyone, everyone in the in the school. So I, I think my class had twelve kids, 
and we were the biggest oh. class for about 20 years. Most of the, most of the classes within, within the, the, the primary school had like three three kids in each class so we just Whoa. had so we just had there was two rooms the school was split in two there was two rooms half the school was in one room taught by one teacher and the other half was taught by the other teacher uh, but knitting what? was taught to everybody and sewing so i did used to knit a long time ago but i haven't picked up that was the, a wild guess then i haven't i haven't picked up the knitting needles for a long time uh but okay. i've like lots of other people i've baked over the last year um, so hey. lots of bread. You managed to get some flour. I yeah. mean, gosh, yeah. you started well, the lockdown, couldn't get any. In in the end, I started buying it in the in the big sixteen kilo bags because um, it was <laughs> it was just easier. <laughs> so I worked that's, my way that's, through those. That's going far, isn't it? Commitment yeah. to baking in the extreme. But uh, it has been, it has been a hard year. Work. I think we've obviously because we've still been able to brew for bottle and can. So, at, at, you know. At some at some stages in the year, actually, we've we've been busier than we ever have been because we've had you know just in terms of in workload, we've had lots of people on furlough and we're trying to operate on a skeleton staff, and then you're having to deal with everything. So I think that that busyness, I think, has been has been great to try and keep people sane if you've been involved in that. But equally, it's also mm-hmm. been quite stressful. Um, I think, and I think there are times when you sort of you sort of think. Uh, you know, you feel guilty about the fact you're working when you've got you've got colleagues who are being furloughed, um, and you you do have I think that I don't know whether it's an Irish thing, but that you do have a lot of guilt around you know the fact you've been able to keep going, and you, and you know for a fact other people have been in a worse situation. Um, and that now, as we get back into the, I guess back into the idea that we're going to start opening up and going back to some sort of normality again, um, I think there's more stress that comes with that. You know, I think lots of people will be will be scared and, and you know about going back to sort of normal life again and going back to working as they used to be and lots of people and hopefully we won't go back exactly as we used to be i think hopefully people mm. have, people have taken the time this year to reevaluate what they want out of life and um i think again that sort of brings more change um i think early on in the in the lockdown before we you know before we even heard the word furlough i think we all know what it means now but you know if you go back yeah. a year ago i don't think any of us knew what furlough meant we had to we had to google it I didn't know yeah. how to spell it to start with. Um, mm, I thought they were saying furlong. I was yeah. like, race it. What's it got to do with racing? <laughs> uh, but but in the in the very early part of um, of COVID, we were sort of left with the left with the idea that we were going to have to shut pubs and shut the brewery, and not know what the hell was going to happen to the the people who work at the brewery. And, and we were, we have you know we were we were having conversations with people about about going on furlough with no pay and, and how the whether that was possible. And and you were having mm. all those really you know strange yeah some of the some of the worst conversations you've ever had in your life you were having with with people you've worked with for well well, i've worked with for you know whatever 16 years now um Mm. where you sort of work for someone like adams and you assume it's going to be very very a very stable job um and you were having these conversations with people about actually there's no work here anymore um so it's crazy and obviously the furlough came in and that made made all those conversations much easier and and there was a route out for people uh, but before that, before that was announced, I think that was probably the worst, the worst time of my life. I think because you were having mm-hmm. to tell people that you know that there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no work here, there's nothing we can do. Yeah, and it's that it's that sense of there there is no news on the horizon as to when anything is going to change. And then there were those yeah. long months right up until then. You know, the summer came and there was things were opening up and there was eat out to help out and all that sort of thing. And don't about you, but almost felt like what wh- where's covid then don't know forgot about covid sunbathing yeah. in the garden all the rest of it um you know uh it was it was, it was quite a quite a summer wasn't it although i suppose you know the one the, the the huge thing that happened in the middle of the summer as well was kind of the black lives matter movement that you know uh, that impacted me in many ways but um you know away from that kind of news agenda wh- when everyone was out and about in the summer and just doing things that we'd we'd you know we'd shut the door on in March. It was quite a change, wasn't it? We were all quite uplifted, I think. Yeah, obviously the you know the, the weather was good and it got people out, but I think it got people doing things that we we want people to do anyway. You know, we we talk about this build back better, which is I know is a terrible phrase, which has been mm. which has been hijacked by by people mm. we'd rather it wasn't hijacked by. But but you know I think there is there is still an opportunity that we can actually do things differently when we start opening back up again. We can try and make the world a little, or our bit of it, a little bit fairer, and try and make mm. sure that people are are getting something out of work that 
you know, maybe that they weren't getting out before. So giving people flexibility, you know, the, the whole idea that, that actually people can work from home and actually put in a good day's work from home. I think going back a year, that was sort of laughed at, you know, of course, of course, people can't work from home. They'll just sit around and watch Jeremy Carl all day. Um, and hopefully we've got to a place where there is a bit more trust in people that they can, that most people do want to do a good day's work. They do want to contribute. They do want to add something back. And I think just putting some faith in people, um, hopefully that can be built into into lots of different systems of work, just putting putting that faith in people. So hopefully we can do things like that more as we start to open back up again. Without a doubt. And um, my last question to you then, um, where are you going to go? Which is the first pub you're going to go to? And what are you going to order at the bar when we are able to? Well, I think the first pub I'll go to would be the Nelson in Southwold. Um, <laughs> you, you've been there, but it's really, it's a tiny pub, but it's, it's the most iconic pub in Southwold. Um, so that's where I want to go to start with. Um, and it'll, it'll be a pint of bitter probably. Um, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think Southwold bitter is probably at its peak when it's on, on cast. So that's what I'll probably order. Wonderful. And we can't wait for that moment. Fergus, thank you so, so much. It's been awesome. No, it's been a pleasure, Marv. Thanks to Fergus for an awesome time. And um, as soon as things are back on the agenda, Austin and I are coming to see you. Um, and if you've not tried anything from Adnams before, you've really got to dive in. And, and for their beers, of course, but also they've got wine, spirits, you know, there's gin, vodka, whiskey that they produce. They've also got some really cool, crazy food gifts like pink gin flavoured chocolate, chutneys and all that sort of thing. And their shops are beautiful homeware havens, all sorts of food and drink, of course, and kitchen items as well. On the beer front, as Fergus said, nevermore is hot off the press. Nevermore is new on the market. A 5% fruity India porter collab with um, those lovelies in Derbyshire, Thornbridge. Uh, I'm also a massive fan of them at the moment. Um, well, have been since Jaipur. Um, and actually, no, none of this is a paid advert. Um, I just wanted to spread the good word because um, Adams does some great stuff. Now, there's just time to catch up with Duncan Keith and Mike Gamble from Days Brewing. They're two pals who set up their own beer brand of no alcohol, lager and pale ale with a commitment to supporting mental health charities. Really good idea. Tell me about the beer, first of all. Um, why 0%? Good question. I think the first, the first reason, the main reason is because it's what our consumers asked us for. When we started at the very beginning of days, pre, like before the liquid existed, before the brand existed, Dunks and I spent a lot of time meeting consumers in London and, and, up, and up in Edinburgh and speaking to people. And overwhelmingly, what they came back to us is they wanted a 0.0% beer. We knew it was harder to get a 0.0% beer. My background, I used to work at AB InBev, so I had some idea about the brewing process. So we knew it was going to be harder to do a 0.0% beer, but it was what our consumer asked for. They wanted it. It was a clearer proposition for them. So it's, it's what we went out to, to try and achieve. Yeah, because there are a mix of beers that are like 0 0.5, you yeah. know, 2.8, what have you. So, you know, low alcohol, but you are totally no. So how then did you achieve that in, term, in terms of the brewing process? Talk me through that. So we, we actually work with a brewery in Scotland, which is where the two of us are from. And uh, we, we, we looked for a lot of people with the kind of expertise that we needed in order to actually have a product that tasted really good because that was always one of the most important things, if not the most important thing, was to have beers that really tasted good, that people enjoyed. And um, eventually we came across a brewery in Scotland, which was a nice coincidence because it's obviously where both of us are from. Mm -hmm. And they have been working on this technique for a long time. Um, and we worked with them to improve the actual flavor profile at the end of the process. But effectively, the process is very similar to how you would normally make a full alcohol beer, but we stop the fermentation at the point that it starts to convert to alcohol. Yeah, I think, I think the important thing to add there is when we worked with, when we chose this brewery partner, we looked at all the different ways of making a zero zero. We knew that one of the ways is to start with an alcoholic beer and then dealkalize it. And kind of when we were talking about that with our head brewer, you could see his face just like <laughs> scringing me like, I don't want to do that to like the ingredients that we use um, because yeah, you, yeah. what you end up with is something that's kind of damaged the integrity of those ingredients. So it was really important for us to get to zero, zero 
but also get there without creating an alcoholic beer. We don't believe our beer has to start life as an alcoholic beer. It's brewed with purpose from the start to be 0.0%. And so you say you went through that process and then what did you do to, to kind of give that kick of flavour? It's, I mean, it goes back to the quality of the ingredients that, that, that we use at the outset. And I think when you start with the objective of how do we make a great tasting beer, which is 0.0%, rather than the objective of how do we make an alcoholic beer have less alcohol in it, that's what the, the sort of guiding principle of it was. And we start with great ingredients. You know, we start with barley, which is, is sourced from... Uh, the local area that, that 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 we brew the beers in, we use Scottish water from the Lammermuir Hills, um, and it's not easy. Neither of us are brewers. I have to put my hands up and say I'm not a brewer. <laughs> it's not easy. It took a lot of testing and a lot of different recipes to get it right. Um, but that, that, but we're we're really happy with the end result, and 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 the feedback has 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 actually been, you know, really really, we're very happy with the feedback since we launched. Good. And what are people saying about it? What have people said when they've tasted it? Because, uh, you know, I, I can imagine some people go 0.0% beer. Okay, so how is this tasting <laughs> like anything? What is this going to do for me? Because, you know, I think the psychology around having a, a, a low or no alcohol beer is um, it's got to give me some sense that I am drinking something that does have alcohol. I've got to feel yeah. like it's a beer. And some people <laughs> might come to it in a sceptical sense. That's yeah. A, yeah, that that that's a that's a really really good point, and that is one of the consistent um, bits of feedback that we receive from people. Is beer has this amazing ability to, to it's 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 kind of a ritual. When you finish your day, if you if you crack open a bottle of beer at the, it, it sort of separates that working day from when you then start to relax. And if you're cooking with a beer or something, it, it's just it it really helps people unwind. And that's you know obviously the taste has been really 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 strong people have been coming back saying i'm i'm so surprised this product is 0.0% but yeah. it's it's that occasion which really which we both get excited about because that's kind of what the reasons why we got into it because beer is is a is a great product for so many different occasions but particularly in lockdown so many people are coming back to us saying you know this is great it's so, it's so so easy for me to reach for a beer and i'm so happy that i'm doing it with a 0.0% beer rather than uh, full strength beer because that 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 becomes quite a slippery slope yeah i think what we always wanted to do from the very start through like all our taste tests like the aim goal end goal for us was refreshment we're not looking to have something that once you have a sip of it you're like oh it tastes a little bit like a beer but i don't want to drink anything more because i don't like it like for us the beer moment that beer occasion is once you have like one of these you want to reach for another like to really transcend this category it has to have that like refreshment sessionable thing and i think that's the most we get amazing reviews on our, on our website we publish all the reviews online on our website and the ones that give us the most excitement are this is so good I can, i'm finding myself reaching for another because that's what we're really going for is like sessionability and refreshment i'll tell you i actually had the most satisfying call recently where <laughs> I, I received a phone call from a 92-year-old <laughs> lady who had received our beers from her son um, and loved them and had called me up because she doesn't understand how to use the website and doesn't know how to order products online. So her son had asked me if it was okay if he gave um, her, her if, if, if he gave me her phone number. So I said, absolutely, call me any, any, any time. So I received a call from her and asking if she could possibly order some beers over the phone, which I was absolutely delighted about and obviously <laughs> oh, more than happy to oblige. That's and that, lovely. It was because both of us, you know, spend a lot of time thinking, oh, is, who, 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 who are we targeting? How are we going to do that? But it was really, really nice actually to receive that. And, and it, it sort of reminded us that, this is a this is a product which is really fulfilling a need for lots of people. And I know when you launched uh, in January, you had the, the Forwarding Falls initiative. So just um, tell us a little bit more about that and the connections around mental health. Yeah, for sure. So we, we launched officially in kind of like September, October, but I think January was when the first time most people got to hear about us. And the first thing is we have an initiative that runs through the business at all times. It's one of the core principles of the business, which is what we call day's duty, which is our commitment to donate 2% of sales to mental health initiatives. So that runs throughout all the business at all the time. 
in in January, we doubled down on that initiative by launching the Forward Fours, which was for the month of January, all profits from the sale, all proceeds from the sale of those four packs went towards Days Duty and supported those men- mental health initiatives. So yeah, mental health and, and the way we address it and sparking conversations there is, is a really, really important thing for us. I think what we always say is, yes, we're always going to donate our 2% of sales and there will always be a monetary donation towards forward-thinking mental health organizations. But what gives us more excitement in a way is using this product, beer, you touched on it. We've been drinking it forever. It's, it's Britain's drink. People love doing this. People love sharing a beer. There's nothing else like it. How can we use this amazing platform to push forward a conversation that, you know what, not a lot of people do enjoy having or are maybe reluctant to have. Duncan and I always have this idea that 10 years ago, we'd meet in the pub, have a pint. How are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? Fine. And we'd mm. never talk about what's on our mind, right? And we would never help each other out and go through that. We, we're really excited to try and use this, beer, the world's oldest social network, to try and move that conversation forward and, and support forward-thinking mental health organisations. Thanks to Duncan and Keith from Days. You can order their beers from daysbrewing.com. Big virtual love to Christian and Kendra for their beer love notes. And of course, eternal thanks to the delightful Fergus Fitzgerald, uh, head brewer at Adnams in Suffolk for the lovely convo about the gargantuan delights of the brewery. Um, Make sure you get stuck into the web shop. Take a trip out to Southport if you can beautiful hotels in the town you've got the beach the lighthouse to explore as well really worth trying to earmark um, a trip if you can later on in the summer all things being equal of course that's it from me for now follow me on twitter at beer beauty on instagram at tv marv i would love to hear what you think about the podcast don't forget to subscribe give me some gold stars online if you like the sound of it as well and i hope you'll come back next time